Hello, everybody, and welcome to Inside the Glass, Southern Arizona's original hockey podcast. I'm your host, Rob Liano, joined by Eric Clock, and welcome to part three of our off-season free agency series to talk a lot about everything, really, leading up to the uh, free agency live episode that we're going to be doing once again every year. Um... We have a lot of things to talk about today. This is our RFA episode, but before we get into RFAs, we do have uh, a few things to talk about regarding certain teams' cap situations. So let's start off, Eric, with the Vegas Golden Knights and some of their cap dump moves. Why don't you go ahead and say what they did in the last two days? So yesterday, they traded Colin Miller over to the Buffalo Sabres, dumping his $3,875,000 cap hit to uh, Buffalo in exchange for a 2021 second round pick and a 2022 fifth round pick. Um, And then a couple days ago, the day before, actually, um, they traded Eric Howla over to the Carolina Hurricanes, dumping a further $2,750,000 in exchange for Nicholas Roy, a guy who played almost exclusively in the AHL last year and a conditional fifth round pick that says that if Howla is on the Hurricanes roster past the 2020, the 2019-20 season, or if Carolina trades Howla for one of the following, a player, multiple draft picks, or draft picks in rounds one to five, if no condition is met, no pick will be transferred. So they only get a fifth round pick if Howla stays on the Hurricanes past this season. So if he re-signs with, um, with uh, Carolina past this season, or if Howla gets traded at the deadline for a player, multiple draft picks, or a single draft pick in a rounds one to five, then the Golden Knights get a fifth round draft pick. That's a mouthful of conditions. I, yeah, that's... Uh, they're just getting they're just making these conditions more and more complicated every year it's getting no i i know it's i don't know i honestly wish that they would go back to just letting teams straight up trade cash for players um like they used to back in the day but they don't do that anymore yeah that would um, that would have been nice. yeah those those are your big recent trades by vegas um dumping together about how much would that be? So that's 1.5 million plus five, 6.5 million. That's what they dumped right there between those two deals. Um, just about six and a half million. But even with those cap dumps, Vegas is $900,000 over the cap. Um, with Brandon Peary still to sign, Pierre Edward Belmar still to sign, Nikita Gusev to sign, Thomas Nosek to sign, did not get a qualifying offer. Interestingly, um, key fourth liner for Vegas over the past couple of years. Uh, Derek Anglin still needs a contract and Malcolm Subin still needs a contract. So even though Vegas is getting closer to being underneath the salary cap, they still have quite a few players they need to sign. Because right now they have, well, they already have, they have 12 forwards under contract. Theoretically, they, they can ha- let they, everybody go. They have their forwards, although I they need think... one more defenseman, and they need a contract for Malcolm Subban. Yeah, I would think that they would want to uh, sign Nikita Gusev because, like, I mean, why just sign him to a two-week contract and let him go? It makes no sense. Because um, Vegas was trying to get past doing everything they could to get past San Jose in the first round, and that's what Nikita Gusev was. And he didn't but play I that think... at all, though, like. 
I don't know. Vegas is strange a little bit sometimes. I mean, they did the same thing to uh, Vadim uh, Shipashev, remember, when they brought him over in their inaugural season? Oh, that's right. And then he uh, he walked away from the contract because they basically just sent him down to the AHL, and the guy was expecting to play in the NHL, so he went back. Um, I think that they should re-sign Brandon Peary. I thought Peary was really good when they did call him up, and he was one of the best players in the AHL last season. So I think Peary is actually... A guy they should look into resigning, um, and then yeah, like you said, they need a another defenseman. Um, yeah, but obviously, like it, it's like how much are they going to be able to pay for a defenseman? Because they still have again, they have to move around more more assets. The question is, who are they going to move around? Um, I don't know. And it, if they want to make more room, it's got to be one of the people who's making, you know, that at least $4 million because that make that can relieve a decent amount. But who among those people? The uh, only guy they would move, the only two people they would possibly move are Alex Stuck and Cody, and Cody Eakin because um, they both don't have, of those guys have no uh, no movement clauses. They don't have no movement clauses, I mean. I mean, a guy like, uh, like I'd say, like Jonathan Marchessault and Max Pacioretty, not saying they're going to move, but they do have modified no trade clauses so that they could theoretically. They wouldn't move them so soon after signing both of those guys and acquiring both of those guys. That's the only thing. Um I mean, I don't think Tuck would get moved either because he is a very young player and he has a manageable cap hit for, what is that? That's seven more seasons, right? That's, yeah, so 4.75. It like, it's manageable, but, you know. I think you would either move Eakin or uh, Reeves then because they're both um, one year from expiring. Both of their contracts are one year from expiring. Um, and uh, they both command fairly high cap hits. I don't know. Vegas' situation does look a little bit better. I mean, I think that Buffalo got a very good player out of uh, Colin Miller. Absolutely. In that trade for not that much. Um, I mean, uh, a good puck-moving defenseman. He's good in both zones. Good two-way guy. Um, 29 points in 65 games last year. I mean, I know you shouldn't judge defensemen so much off of their point totals, but, um, I mean, that's just good for a Buffalo team that needs all the help they can get. Right. Um, in terms of building more roster depth, I mean, uh, cause they have, uh, Rasmus Ristolainen and, um, Rasmus Deline on the back end. But outside of those two guys, um, Buffalo could use a little bit more help. I mean, I know they just got Brandon Montour. So who knows? I mean, maybe Colin Miller, Brandon Montour, Rasmus Deline, and Rasmus Ristolainen will form a nice um, top four group for the Sabres next year. I'm sure that's exactly what uh, Jason Botterill was thinking when he uh, made this trade with a very desperate Vegas team. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Well, let's actually see what Buffalo has on that note really quick. Actually, we'll talk about Buffalo later. They do have some more RFAs. But I don't know. What do you think of all those cap dumps, Rob? Um, I mean... Again, it was it was just necessary uh, because there was no way Vegas was going to make it work with what they had. They had so much. They they just you know I had to say they overpaid so many guys and they just put them into a difficult situation. They didn't realize how you know how pushed against a cap they would be. Even if it was eighty three million, yes, if there was eighty, if if the cap was eighty three million, theoretically right now they'd be under it. But still, that's a uh, like. 
you know, you're kind of like playing with fire here, as I said, like in the last episode on how much like you're just, you know, dishing out money to these guys. I know, you know, they're they were part of an integral part of going to the Santa Cup final and their inaugural season and everything like that. But still. Yeah, I know. I mean, but Vegas is basically all in right now. The way that they've set up their roster, they um, they had to do that. You know what I mean? They had to commit. Yeah, and well, I yeah. think that one of the things that really killed them was the Mark Stone deal that they handed out. They wouldn't be nearly as cash-strapped as they are right now if they didn't give that type of contract to Mark Stone. True, true. Um, by far the highest paid player on the team by quite a bit by narrowly edging out both Pacioretty and Subban, I mean, and uh, Flurry by two and a half million dollars. Um, but their cap situation isn't as bad as like Toronto's. I mean, if they can dump either Ryan Reeves or Cody Eakin, I think that you keep Ryan Reeves around for another season because I always think that players that make your team hard to play against, like Ryan Reeves, have a lot of value. Having a good and having a good enforcer um, kind uh-huh. of keeps other teams honest. Yeah, he's one of the toughest players in the league right now. So I say keep get rid of Cody Eakin. I mean, you have to get rid of somebody. You can't keep everybody, obviously. Right. And you need a backup goalie, and I think Stuban has earned um, a spot as the backup goalie for the Golden Knights. I've thought he's been very good for the past couple of years for uh, the Golden Knights as their uh, backup goaltender. And I think maybe he even could be a starter in the future. I mean, um, there were points at the end of last season, I'm sure you remember, Rob, that uh, Fleury was struggling a little bit. He was looking a bit fatigued. And um, they gave Subban um, a couple of consecutive starts here and there and increased his workload a little bit towards the end of the year. I mean, he still started 21 games last season. Um, and I, I've i always really liked Malcolm Subban for the Golden Knights, as I said on the last episode. Um, so, yeah, I think that Vegas – I think that that's the only guy – the good news for the Golden Knights is I think Subban is the only guy that I look at on here that I think that they absolutely should have to re-sign. But he's arbitration eligible, though. That's the issue. And, he's, and he can ask for more more money than what they can offer – and that wouldn't be able to work. And then I think know. the max of what you would reasonably let a guy like Malcolm Subin make is like two million a year max. Yeah, I me. wouldn't. I wouldn't think he'd be. Um, like even an arbitrator wouldn't say that he's worth more than that. That's what I think. Especially since he's a backup goaltender. Like it's like right. So why would a backup goaltender really make that much more money? Like it's. But I still think it'd be unfortunate, as we were saying last time, um, for Derek England to go because he was such a um, a big part of Vegas's early leadership group, especially to that Stanley Cup final. He has ties to Vegas. He has roots in Vegas, even though he's originally from Alberta, I think. Yeah, he um, he was kind of like that uh, the um, the centerpiece of the uh, the Vegas strong rallying cry. Right, and he actually won the Mark Messier uh, Leadership Award in Vegas's inaugural season. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think it would be a bit of a shame to see him go, but um, he might just have to. But Vegas still has a little bit of work to do. And um, I mean, he could theoretically take a minimum deal. And Yeah, I mean, but, but what would you? I mean, 
I mean, at would the, you? I mean, he's 37. I mean, he's up there in age. I don't know. Um, I think he was still definitely serviceable as an NHL defenseman. True. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I it just, uh, you can think of the idea of go, going back to the, yeah going back to the idea of you know players taking hometown discounts. You're just like you know don't worry sure. about that. I will take less money for you guys to get into a certain cap situation. And I always go back to someone like Joe Thornton at with San Jose. We can we're gonna talk about San Jose more a little bit later, but um, the where yeah a player who's considered a leader on that team will take that kind of hometown discount because. Well, even Shane Doan back in the day, he took a lot less money to stay in Arizona. There was one particular offseason. I think it was like 2011 or 12. I forget which one it was. It was like early 2000s um, that a lot of teams had a lot of interest in Shane Doan. But just because of how much ties he had to Phoenix and to the uh, state of Arizona, uh, he remained here and he took significantly less money than he could elsewhere. And it's a little bit different in the Coyotes case because when Joe Thornton and like Nick Lidstrom, I always bring up that example too. Um, when guys like Thornton and Lidstrom used to take discounts or are taking discounts, it was to give their teams more cap space to be competitive. Mm-hmm. Doan was doing it because his team was rather cash strapped, but I mean, still, it's still the principle of a hometown discount. So, right. yeah, I, I mean, I could see that happening, but at the same time, I mean, nice thing about cap friendly is it allows you to see career earnings, right? Yep. And Derek England has made about $13 million in his career, which, I mean, it's nothing to sneeze at, but it's nothing spectacular either compared to career earnings of other guys that are around his age. And, you know, if you're a professional hockey player, you want to um, you want to secure as much financial stability for you and your family as you can in the future. So I don't know if a guy like Derek England would take a um, hometown discount in the way that Joe Thornton did. Cause I mean, we were talking about it last time, right on um, the show and Joe Thornton's career earnings are over a hundred million. I'll verify that again. But from what I remember, he's made over a hundred million in his career. So it's not like Joe Thornton really needs to. He's definitely up there. Yeah. 107 million. Yeah. So compare Joe Thornton who has estimated career earnings per cap friendly of $107 million to Derek England, who has made 13.4 million in his career. And those two guys are in drastically different situations. I mean, I don't mean to undermine the point that you're trying to make. I think it's a good one, but um, you got to keep that in mind. That's all I think. So maybe he does walk. Yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, it's th- those are just things you got to consider and all those things. So for we'll... sure, for sure. I mean, he's a veteran guy. People know that he's a good leader, a good guy in the room. So maybe a team that wants a. Uh... I, and I, I, I will say that I think the only difference when it comes to comparing those salaries, though, is when you look at just the number of games these guys, these both like the two the, those players have played. You know, a guy like Thornton with over like sixteen hundred games and. Well, I mean, Joe Thornton's a future Hall of Famer. Derek England is not. I yeah. mean, I, I'm not trying to compare them as like similar caliber players. I'm just comparing them as veteran players in the league on expiring deals, you know? Yeah. True. Okay. Yeah. Because, I mean, Joe Thornton is a Hall of Famer. I mean, if you don't think he is, it's... I mean, let's talk about that Hall of Fame class really quick. What do you think of that? That was announced a couple days ago in between our last uh, episode in this episode it's got some um, pretty good people on there um it's let me bring it up so i can 
I mean, Haley Wickenheiser is, is deserved. I mean, I'm not as well-versed on women's hockey as I should. I'll definitely admit that. Um, and then, uh, let's see who else was in. It's not the strongest class in the world. Uh, Guy Carboneau is in there. Um, he was basically, I guess, from what I've heard, I mean, I'm pretty young. Rob and I were both born in 1997, so a lot of these guys we won't remember. Um, uh, but Sergei like Carboneau was, he was kind of, he was a defensive forward of his day. Sergei Zubov, uh, he's a defenseman that never won a Norris trophy. Um, oh, just over a thousand games, 152 goals, 619 assists. Yeah, Jim Rutherford, GM of the uh, Penguins, was inducted as a builder. I think that's a very worthy selection. Um, and then uh, it's really and really uh, and then and Jerry York, the winningest active coach in NCAA hockey. Sure. At Boston. College. I mean, I think that I think that the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame in recent years has been trying to diversify quite a bit. Because I think before Haley Wickenheiser's induction, there were only like six female players in the Hockey Hall of Fame or something like that. Yeah. And then they also inducted an NCAA coach. So, Because I know that the Hockey Hall of Fame has been criticized in the past for being too NHL-centric, you know? Yeah, I mean... And I think rightfully so in some respects. It's NHL-centric, but um, they're trying to branch out a little bit, which I think there's some merit to, but... um, I don't know. It's not. It's not a crazy good Hall of Fame class, so I don't. Think I mean, when you look at when you compare it to some of the last few years, yeah, obviously. Like, well, let's look up Nick Lidstrom's Hall of Fame class. He went in in 2015. 2015. 20, so that was. Uh, 2015 was crazy good. Sergey Fedorov, class. Bill Hay, uh, Phil Housley, uh, Nicholas Lidstrom, Chris Pronger. Yeah. See, that's like, a, that's a really strong Hall of Fame class. Yeah, that was a super strong. Well, I'm looking at yeah. 2016s, and that reminds me. That reminded me of a, a, uh, a friend who, is related to Sergei Makarov. Really? Yeah, I think it's. I want to say it's his dad. Yeah, we went to uh, high school with with this guy, um, and I saw a picture of him lifting the Stanley Cup at the. Hall of Fame like party or whatever I'm just I'm like ah oh, you lucky bastard that's crazy um but anyways yeah enough of the Hall of Fame I just thought it was worth a little mention um okay so we've established that Vegas still needs to dump some cap for sure um I think that that's a good segue to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs easily the other team in the league that's in the most difficult situation. Cause I think, I think most people would agree that Vegas and Toronto by far are in the most difficult situations. You ask Toronto um, fans though. They, they won't think so. I Toronto fans are, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that there are some out Toronto fans out there that recognize how difficult of a situation they're in, but I just think the that smart people are clowning are absolutely clowning when they say that Mitch Marner is going to make only seven, $8 million next year. That There's he's no going to way. Take that. There's no way. I'm, I mean, so if you look at a list of the RFAs right now that are up for, um, that are, that need to get re-signed right now, 
uh, sorted by points per game, right? You have Miko Ranson and Braden Point and Mitch Marner. Um, each of them were above 1.1 points a game. Mitch Marner had 94 points in 82 games last year. Um, was Toronto's leading scorer, actually. So, um, which if I was Mitch Marner's agent, I would definitely bring up that my client led the team in scoring and you're going to tell him to make less than uh, two guys on the team, even though he was the leading scorer, you know? Yeah. Um, I think he's one of the best playmakers in the league, Mitch Marner. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely one of the league's most creative players. I think that Toronto is a lot worse without him. Um, oh, yeah. So, I mean, and let's see with Toronto. So Toronto is, I think, now in a more difficult situation than Vegas because Vegas – um, at least they have 12 forwards signed, five defensemen signed, and they really just need to re-sign Malcolm Subin. That's the only guy that really pops out at you like, okay, that's a guy they need to get back. But uh, Toronto after – well, okay. Well, yesterday they inked both Andreas Janssen and Kasperi Kapanen to new deals. Janssen took a four-year deal with it carrying an AAV of $3.4 million, and Kapanen took a – three-year deal with an AAV of $3.2 million. Mm-hmm. Each of those deals left Toronto with about $6.9 million in cap space, remaining for Mitch Marner, Tyler Ennis, Ron Hainsey, Jake Gardner, and uh, yeah, that's it, but that's quite a bit. Yeah, that's... Uh, I mean, they have five defensemen under contract, right? So, I mean, they could just re-sign one guy, say let Jake Gardner walk as many Toronto fans would like to happen, but shouldn't. Right. Um, uh, and like re-sign Ron Hainsey to some sort of deal. All right. And just have a really, really, really thin back end. Um, but that, I mean, but then again, it only leads them with uh, 11 forwards. Well, you have to re-sign Marner, right? Yeah. But how, how, how it's a very good question. A lot of people are saying that they need to um, to trade Nikita Zaitsev. That's what I was reading, that people are saying that that's what kind of needs to happen for them to... Uh, that really is $4.5 million, but that that million, that extra $4.5 million is just enough to sign Marner just like that, like that, because um, that's Marner is worth, what, 10, 11, maybe even... 10, can very conservatively, very conservatively, he's worth $10 million. I mean... At the very, yeah. Look at, at the very look least. Look at Mark like, Stone. Look at Mark Stone. Do you think that Mitch Marner is a better player than Mark Stone? Yes, I do. Okay. Mark Stone's making $9.5 million a year. He's carrying the AAV of $9.5 million a year. So... And, automatically Marner should make more than that. And it wouldn't surprise least. me if Marner's asking for a deal. And I said, and I said, and we were talking about this before we went um, and started recording this podcast. It wouldn't surprise me if Marner asked for a deal that is uh, very close to what Austin Matthews is currently on under contract for. Well, one thing I agree with you, but one interesting thing too, that I was reading about, um, Marner's contract negotiations is apparently the Leafs want to lock Marner up um, with the eight-year max deal allowed under the current CBA, and Marner doesn't like that much term. Apparently, um, well, yeah, I mean, what, look the at the... Le- what the Leafs are discussing, what's the rumors say that um, 
that they're not as far apart on money as they are on term. Well, that he, the Leafs want more term, Marner wants less. Well, here's the thing. I think the reason why he wants less is he's looking at uh, essentially what they gave Austin Matthews. They gave Austin Matthews five years, and that five years gives the opportunity for Austin Matthews to walk away in five years and say, you know what, the the Leafs are kind of going downhill. I want to go to find another team. Yeah, it and gives the player a lot more flexibility. And I think that's what Marner wants. He says, you know what, I like that. I want that. And, you know, I think the league would be more exciting because hockey players have always been characterized as athletes that are almost loyal to a fault, you know, to their teams. Like a lot of people, even with how bad the New York Islanders were and how bad their situation almost consistently was, I mean, they only made the playoffs three times in the time that um, John Tavares was there. People were saying there's no way he leaves uh, New York because he's too loyal to New York. And when he did leave. um, Chaos. Yeah, there was chaos and there was collective joy from the Leafs fan base and a lot of anguish and hate from the uh, Islanders fan base. But I think that the NHL would be more exciting if players moved around more often. That's kind of what I'm leading up to I here. I mean, that's kind of what the salary cap era has was designed to do. Right. Um, so I don't know. So let's say that Marner makes just for argument's sake, let's say he makes 11 and a half million. Right. And that's fair. I think that that's fair. Let's say, cause I mean, that's just under what Matthews makes and that's just over what Tavares makes. So let's say he gets 11 and a half million. What do the Leafs need to do to rectify that situation? So that so, puts them, what about, um, just under 5 million over, yeah, just under five million over. Um, I guess you could trade Nazem Kadri, but he has a ten-team no-trade list, so he has a minim- a, a modified no-trade clause. So, I mean, maybe you you move out Nazem Kadri. I mean, that's a guy that I would actually consider shopping if I was Kyle Dubas, because Kadri really was your second-line center before they brought in Tavares. Kadri was a lot more important. Mm-hmm. Um, because he was the second line center behind Austin Matthews. But once you brought in John Tavares, Matthews and him were the top two line centers. And uh, Kadri had a much uh, less significant, less prominent role last season. So I don't know if it's worth paying four and a half million dollars for a third line center. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. Um, so I don't know, maybe, and he's still a good player. He's still a capable player. So in his, deal is pretty manageable i mean a 4.5 million dollar cap hit isn't um isn't something that's going to handcuff a lot of teams right Mm -hmm. um we know about some of his on ice antics being a liability to uh teams he plays for but i mean i'm sure he would find a taker kyle dubas would but so let's say we get rid of nazim kadri right and then move somebody to center i don't know i don't know if it will they would have to figure that out i mean and then you have, yeah they'd have to but you're, figure that out somehow you're, you're still half a million over the cap though even if you move um Kadri's contract out so what do you do do you move out i mean you were saying potentially moving um nikita zaitsev yeah, you move Zaitsev, but then you're only left with 
Morgan Riley and Jake Muzzin as your top two defensemen, and, and you have nobody else. Yeah, Even if you sign Ron Hainsey, he's really old. He's thirty-eight. Yeah, and it just makes and that just makes more uh, more holes in their defense. Right, which is why I never understood the logic behind um, Kyle Dubas's whole "we can and we will" spiel. Because uh, people were basically the basically the moment after uh, Tavares was signed, the the hockey world collectively was like, "Okay, how the hell are you guys going to keep um, William Nylander, Austin Matthews, and Mitch Marner?" And he just basically has been saying, "We can and we will. We have a plan. We're going to figure it out. We're going to keep all of them." But I mean, what are you going to do? Are you just going to run with a really stripped roster everywhere else in the lineup and basically have between three players 33 million roughly tied up 33 to 35 million tied up between three players i mean when the cap is only 80 million when the cap's 81 million and you have 33 to 35 million tied up in just three guys um it's i mean it's tough it's really tough to build a deep team that can actually contend for a cup yep so Um, what do you do if you're kyle dubas rob I mean, right now I think I, I I think the whole Mitch Marner situation might be out of his hands. Like, do you think that we offer sheet? Do you think that we're going to see some offer sheets to Mitch? I Marner? think this might be the first like the first year in over six years we're going to see an offer sheet, um, and in the situation where it might be accepted and the Maple Leafs are unable to match because they there's. Like, come on! If 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 a team offers eleven to eleven five million, um, how in the world are the Maple Leafs able to match that with 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 the, with what they have? Like, and even if they move around assets, like even then, like again, as we were saying, it creates problems. So we we know Marner's worth, and we know what pro- potentially what he's asking for of term. There are certain teams he, that are he's willing- c- any t- he's cons- sorry yeah any one of these teams like who have the cap space can do it they can give him the money and they can give him the term i mean he's conservatively worth at least 10 million yeah and that's cons- and you said that's conservatively like yeah conservatively um but is Mitch Marner really worth the draft pick compensation, the four first-round draft picks that would have to go to Toronto to sign? I mean, is the team really that desperate to offer sheet him and and give up that many draft picks? That's 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 a question that's going to be have to be discussed within those team that those teams front offices if they're really willing to give that much up. Um, it's for some. They might, they might, they might be able to, you know, finesse that, you know. But I don't think a a rebuilding team should go for it. It should be a team that's tried to come out of a rebuild. Yeah, because they've they've already gotten their first round picks, and they've gotten they've got a good prospect pool going, and they just and they have the cap space, so might as well try to make the push. What if like a team like Buffalo did it, offer sheeted Mitch Marder? That would be interesting. Um, yeah, it would. Yeah, any one of the teams that are real. Yeah, so theoretically, any one of the teams that are currently below the floor, I mean, they could do it. Um, 
Okay, Jack Eichel. I just clicked on Buffalo. Jack Eichel makes $10 million a year, and I think that Marner is at least as good as Eichel. Or same caliber player, right? And then Jeff Skinner just got a eight-year deal carrying a $9 million AAV, and mm-hmm. Mitch Marner is definitely a better player than Jeff Skinner. So, this I mean, I don't know what Leafs fans are thinking when they say – I mean, you guys can just go on Instagram. Just go on the Leafs um, Instagram page or any, pretty much any page on Twitter, Instagram, whichever social media you prefer. Um, and I, they're all saying that Mitch Marner is going to sign for like eight, nine million dollars. He's not. It looks like the uh, um, the cap just or. Er, the Maple Leafs cap just went down slightly. What happened? Um, they signed um, Martin Moranson uh-huh. to a. So, uh, let's see what the contract is. Uh, one year, seven hundred thousand. So the uh, minimum unconfirmed contract details, according to Cap Friendly, but that now leaves the Maple Leafs with. Uh, just under five and a half million dollars in cap space. Well, I think that means that they're pretty much going to let all their other defensemen walk. That's kind of what it looks like. It looks like they might just go with Zaitsev with the current defensive group that they have going forward because they have seven under contract, right? Right. And let Jake Gardner and Ron Hainsey and Igor Agsiganov, for it's a rough last name, walk. Yeah, I mean they got they have know. to, like there's no they have to. And you're not resigning Tyler Ennis, but I mean, what does that leave Mitch Marner? So they have five point four million dollars to sign Marner with, basically right now, how everything stands. And if they trade away Kadri somehow, right, then they only have ten forwards um, in the organization signed, and they still have to give Mitch Marner about ten million dollars at least. I don't know. It's a sticky situation, that's for sure. Because, I mean, they have just about $10 million, just under $10 million in cap space if they trade away Kadri um, somehow. And it would have to be a cap dump. I mean, they wouldn't even get re- good return for trading Kadri away because teams would know that the Leafs are desperate to get rid of some cap hit. Right? I mean, that's, what, up some cap space. I mean, that's what's been going on with uh, with Vegas when they're, with their cap dumps. Oh, for sure. So, I mean, I don't know. Um, Toronto is very lucky they found a uh, a suitor for Patrick Marlowe's cap. So right, I'm going to give you, yeah, they are. Oh my God, they are. Yeah, that that um, that would have really choked them up. So I'll give you three situations though, and I want you to order them in most likely to least likely. Okay. So first situation, all right. Uh, Mitch Marner uh, signs a deal before July 1st. Mitch Marner gets offer sheeted by another team. Actually, four situations. Mitch Marner gets offer sheeted by another team within the next couple of weeks, and the Leafs match it. Number three, Mitch Marner gets offer sheeted, and the Leafs don't match it. And number four, Mitch Marner holds out in a similar way that William Nylander did last season. Those are your four, Hmm. most the least likely. I'll say the most likely is offer sheet and match. Offer sheet and match. Yep. 
I don't like again. I don't think I don't, I don't know how it will work, but I, Toronto will just. I mean, they're just be desperate to try to keep them, and they'll try to they'll, they'll try to match it, and they'll move around. What if a team get, What if a team comes out and offers him thirteen million? Oh, then they there's no way they can match that. Um, but I don't think they'll go out and I I, I at least that's my thinking would be I don't think they'd go out and get a uh, uh, thirteen million offer sheet like that. Um, but that's well. I mean, okay. So let's look back not too far in history, though, to see how a similar situation uh, panned out. And back in, let's go to Shea Weber because Shea Weber was in a similar situation with um, Nashville back in the day. Mm-hmm. And Philadelphia was really desperate for a really good def- young defenseman. So what Philadelphia thought they would do was offer a contract that they thought that a poorer team, a team that was more cash-strapped, a budget team like Nashville could not match and could and would not and would allow Shea Weber to go over to um, Philadelphia. That was the last, like, huge big news uh, offer sheet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So let's look at what that contract was because it was an overpay, and the intention of it was um, – that Nashville would not be able to. That was in 2000. Uh, that was in 2012. It was in. Yeah, 2012. Yeah, an offer of uh, 14 years, 110 million dollars. Um, the, yeah, the Philadelphia Flyers were the offering team, and the Nashville Predators just matched it. Yep. The last and time they we saw an off- of that contract. Yeah, the last time we saw an offer sheet, um, was. February of 2013 and that was a um, the Calgary Flames trying to uh, offer Ryan O'Reilly from the Colorado Avalanche and that was matched what was it what was that deal it's a two year 10 million dollar contract huh yeah, but the last huge one that was just really aggressive for a very good player. Well, Ryan O'Reilly is a very good player, but the last one that was of comparable magnitude to what kind of offer sheet Mitch Marner would get was um, Shea Weber's one. Mm-hmm. I think that that's what you would see. And I think that if you really wanted to get something that the Leafs would not be able to match, you would have to offer Marner something in the neighborhood of $13 million. Um, but that would make Mitch Marner the highest paid player in the league. And does Marner necessarily deserve to be the highest paid player in the league? Probably not. I mean, I don't think he's better than like Connor McDavid. Yeah, no, he's right? great, but he's not like that. Like, he's, he's definitely an elite player. But yeah, he's, he's not. He's not Connor McDavid. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I think I think that he makes somewhere in between. Nothing more than what uh, Matthews makes, but nothing less than what Tavares makes. But the Leafs still have a lot of uh, of work to do, for sure. I mean, $5.4 million in cap space is uh, not much at all. More like 5.5, just $10,000 under 5.5. Yeah. Um, but still. And they only have 20 guys signed. They only have a 20-man roster right now, so it's... It's not looking good. Not looking good. Not at all. It's gonna be yeah. It's gonna be brutal for them. Um, we'll see how it works out. Um, part of me wants to see an offer sheet because again, um, 
it's been It'd be interesting. Yeah, it's been six years since we've seen one, but it's been twelve years since it's actually been accepted. When was that? That was it not uh, matched. The last time a offer sheet was not matched was when the Edmonton Oilers offered offered a five year, twenty one point five million dollar contract to Dustin Penner away from the Anaheim Ducks, and it was accepted with the with a um, co- a draft pick compensation of a first, a second, and a third in the 2008 Ouch. draft. That was well, the that last time. Well, that didn't work time. out well for the Oilers because the Oilers have made the playoffs only two times in the last decade, I think. Uh, 2006 and in like the last 15 years, I mean, 2006 and 2017. So clearly it didn't work out well for the Oilers. Yeah. Right. Um, so I don't know. So why don't we look at some of the other RFAs? I mean, we've all established pretty much throughout the season that the Leafs are in a very, very difficult situation because basically it's a choice between letting one of their best players, I think their best player walk or signing him to what he's worth because he's going to command what he's worth, right? Mitch Marner's not going to take anything less than 10 million at a minimum, right? Right. Um, and if you do that, if you resign Marner, you're basically tying up so much money anywhere between 33 and $35 million in three players, Austin Matthews, John Tavares and Mitch Marner and, um, 40 million. If you add a Nylander's contract, so 40 million in four players on your, in your forward group, if you add a Nylander's contract, right. Um, so almost half of your cap and just four guys, and then just having to have a, cash strapped just totally um uh stripped roster everywhere else so i mean but i mean that's not how you build hockey's not basketball you know you can't just build a team around a couple of key guys up front it's not top end it's the Uh it's the saying i've been saying for you know several years now a team is only as good as their fourth line if you have a fourth line that does jack shit then you're not gonna you're not gonna get anywhere I mean, you might win enough regular season games to qualify for the for the playoffs. Yeah, but once but, you I make mean, the playoffs, then it's all then it's a whole different ball game. Yeah, I mean, Boston and St. Louis both had very good fourth lines. Exactly. So I mean, yeah, hockey is a is a sport where you need contributions up and down your lineup, and the Leafs just aren't going to get that if um, they go forward with re-signing. That's why it's still going back to how John Tavares getting the deal that he did uh, last summer. Just it still doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense then, and it doesn't make sense now. Yeah, I remember. I mean, when... it wouldn't be that bad if they just had uh, Mitch Marner making exactly what Tavares makes, right? You could have easily extended both Matthews and Marner, had those two guys going forward as you, it, as like the key part of your core, and you know what I mean. Yeah, to think if. Because um, I remember what our all of our reactions when that happened, we we're just like, "Huh, what?" Because um, just yeah, because both of us and a lot of us knew that it just didn't make sense for it to happen. Um, and I think what a lot, even through some of the people on, on on our chat on the live show last year and everything, Evan was talking about how um, many people thought that. John Tavares was going to be on his way to wear a teal sweater in San Jose. And 
you know, it's because that's where it made a little bit more sense in general. But like it, you know, it's funny too. What's that? Of all the teams that met with John Tavares when he was a free agent last year, all of them except for Tampa Bay made it farther in the playoffs than uh, the Leafs did. So he met with Dallas that made it to the second round. Mm -hmm. He met with San Jose that made it to the conference finals. He met with New York, obviously, that made it to the second round. And then he met with Boston that made it to the Stanley Cup final. So those four teams with the... Of the six teams that he met with, all except for Tampa Bay made it further than Toronto did in the playoffs. Yeah. Which is funny. Um, but yeah, I thought that San Jose was a better suitor for him, too. We both did back then. Um, but uh, so I don't know. We'll see how this goes. It's interesting. At least it's very interesting. It makes like what we're doing a lot easier, being able to talk this long at at such length about Toronto, just because it's such a um, difficult and fascinating situation. But um, it's going to be really interesting to see how it unfolds. You know, what I think it's going to happen um, out of those four scenarios. I think we're going to see a holdout. I think that teams are going to okay. bulk at what the, uh, the offer sheet compensation would be. I think that first round picks, especially in today's NHL come at such a premium and are so valuable to a team um, that you just don't want to give up that many of them um i don't think that the leafs whether it's uh AA, whether it's money or term one of the two i don't think that the leafs uh camp and the marner camp are going to be anywhere near um a zone where they could agree um right. within the next couple of days or even couple of weeks so i think we're going to see a holdout similar to nylander that's going to be my uh that's my prediction okay and uh I'm interested to see though how that turns out for him because remember look remember what happened when Nylander held Oh, out. it was a bad situation, but I think that Marner's gonna hold out for the money he's worth and that he deserves. Yeah, we'll see how that turns out because uh well you think he'll uh he's gonna be just like Nylander and literally take just hours before that uh December. No, 1st not deadline? necessarily. Not necessarily, but I mean, I. Because I didn't. I think that we well. could go at least a couple of months before he signs. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there's a very good chance that throughout the month of July, Marner won't be signed. I should rephrase that. That he's going to hold out for a lot longer after. I I don't think we're going to know what happens with Mitch Marner within the next month. I'll make that my prediction. He will not sign within the next month. Okay. I don't know. So let's talk about some of the other RFAs. Enough of the Leafs. I mean, you're, it's pretty easy to talk in circles about it because just none of it makes sense. I mean, um, it's just such a difficult situation all around. There's yeah, no, like we. No matter how you slice it, yeah, it'd be good. It'd be good to kind of like segue <laughs> over to the uh, the rest of the RFA class because we got a solid RFA class this year. Oh yes, we do. Um, we have Miko Rantanen, the, but Colorado has plenty of space to sign Rantanen. Yeah, why don't you just list? Um, why don't you just briefly, really quick, list list off that top twelve? I'll go. I'll go. Okay, so we have Miko Rantanen of the Colorado Avalanche, Braden Point of the Tampa Bay Lightning, Mitch Marner of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Sebastian Ajo of the Carolina Hurricanes. Matthew Kachuk of the Calgary Flames, Timo Meyer of the San Jose Sharks, Brock Besser 
of the Vancouver Canucks, Kyle Connor of Winnipeg, Kevin LeBanc of San Jose, um, Jacob Truba, now of the New York Rangers, recently traded um, by Winnipeg, mm-hmm. and then Patrick Line of the Winnipeg Jets, who reportedly might want out, um, and Travis Konechny of uh, Philadelphia. So we have a very, very strong um, UFA, um, RFA class, I mean. And if we, if we get, dig a little bit deeper and go into the defensemen, too, um, you also have Zach Wierenski Ooh, yeah. of the Columbus Blue Jackets <laughs> needing a new contract and, we're and Charlie McAvoy. Yeah, that's uh, – On Boston. So what a, what a class. What a RFA class is right. I mean – Will Butcher, again, uh, New Jersey, also needs a new contract. Um, but, yeah, that's a insanely um, insanely deep RFA class. I mean, a lot of these guys, I think I could see the entire top four that we just listed right there from Rantanen all the way down to Ajo making over $10 million a season. Oh, yeah, easily. Um. I think Kachuk is worth easily seven. Yep. Because um, I think Kachuk really brings a lot to the table. He's uh, a classic power forward, good agitator. He plays the mental game well, plays the physical game well. Um, he knows how to score, too. It's Those types of players are tar- are really tough to come by, you know? Mm-hmm. I think Timo Meyer, like you were saying, he's worth at least six. That's probably conservative. Yep. If anything, um, I don't know. So, what do you think Patrick Line makes after the down season that he had? I mean, it's really rare to see guys have such bad years in their contract years. Usually, you see uh, production go way up when guys are up for new deals. Um, I think that that's an interesting guy to start off and talk about um, because I mean, people were putting him as the front runner in the rocket Richard race before last season. And he had a down year by his standards, only 30 goals and 20 assists. So what do you think happens with Patrick line? Um, he's still due to make a decent amount of money. Cause they, you've seen what he can do um, down season or not. Yeah. Obviously a down, like the last season is put into consideration, a significant amount. I it's, I can see him signing a short-term deal for a little bit less money to kind of like give him a little bit extra. See, like, right, let's make bridge sure. contract. Yeah, a bridge contract. So that's like you know maybe like a two three years at five and a half to six million. Yeah, that, I mean that seems about right because I still think that Patrick Line has one of the best releases in the league. I mean, um, he's a true he's sniper. Definitely he's uh, he's that's the way he is. He's He's good. He, I, I I like watching him, but um, when he's on, he's quite possibly the best pure goal scorer in the league. Oh yeah, right up there with guys like Alex Ovechkin when he's on. But that's the thing; it's when he's on. So I think I think you're right. I think that line A does get like a and that's the risk about snipers because like it's a situation where yeah, most snipers are like uh, when you're on, you're on. When you're not, you're not. It's that's it. it it's a tough situation with those kind of players. Especially Patrick Laine. I mean, I don't know. You've seen, we've seen what he's capable of, and we've seen what he's. I mean, okay, he only had a twelve percent shooting percentage this year, which is definitely low for a guy like him. 
Oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, easily. So, I don't know. I think he does get a bridge contract, like you're saying, though. Um, so, we'll just go up the list from there. Jacob Truba, he's obviously going to get re-signed by the, uh, by the Rangers. Uh, he was very good for um, Winnipeg last year. And um, he should. I think he's due to make, I don't know, probably he made $5.5 last year, which I think is pretty fair. But salaries just in general have been rising, and he did have a good season last year. Six so six five. Give him like six, six five. I could see that. All right, Kevin LeBanc, I'll let you take the lead on that one. That's uh San Jose. Yeah, Kevin LeBanc, I can say could easily be worth somewhere between four to five million dollars. Um he is a third line winger, at least on the Sharks roster. He could be a second or, or potentially even first on some rosters. Um but I think, given the situation, I know with the Sharks cap sit, um, situation, um, from what I hear based off San Jose-based reporters, um, i.e., I believe Kevin Kurz reported this from The Athletic, he said Kevin LeBanc is interested in a bridge-type contract, and I think that bridge-type contract would be about like a two-year contract worth maybe just south of $4 million. So All that's right. around where he'd be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's about right. I mean, San Jose's in a tough cap situation, as you said. So San Jose yeah. can't exactly afford to give guys a bunch of money. Because I know they have $14.8 million in cap space, but they have a lot of guys that need to get re-signed right now. I mean, um, um, it goes without saying, well, we're going to talk more about it really in-depth on Monday. But, you know, it goes without saying that there's a, now a near 100% chance Joe Pavelski is wearing another sweater next year. And it breaks my heart because I have his jersey hanging literally right next to me. Um, but um, It's unfortunate. Yeah, it is. It's it's an unfortunate casualty of the uh, Eric Carlson signing. But we'll talk more mm-hmm. about that later. But, again, it puts this difficult situation in the cap and, you know, a strategic situation for the Sharks in, in how to – invest in the younger guys and it you know it makes sense but yeah kevin lebanc likely to sign a bridge deal with san jose all right so i i I can agree with that so another really interesting guy on the jets though is definitely kyle connor because kyle connor for the better part of last season was the third part of winnipeg's top line consisting of mark shifley and uh, blake wheeler on the other wing opposite of kyle connor do I think that his top end is as good as Patrick Laine? No, but he was more consistent throughout last season, actually scored more goals than Patrick Laine did, mm-hmm. and uh, finished with a higher point total, had a higher shooting percentage. I mean, if you would have said that to somebody at the beginning of the 17-18 uh, season, that Kyle Connor was going to have more goals than Patrick Laine, more points than Patrick Laine, and a higher shooting percentage than Patrick Laine, they would have said, you're crazy. Um but does he deserve to actually make more money than Patrick Laine does, given that I think most people would agree that Pat, the top end of Patrick Laine's skill is a lot higher than Kyle Connors? So I, I think that mm-hmm. that's a tough thing for Winnipeg right there. That's a tough situation. Yeah, it's a that, that requires a lot of strategic decision-making on what Winnipeg is really trying to do with their team. Uh, um, you know, it, you know, any GM can just throw a dollar sign and just say, "Yeah, this is what you're worth," because it's what you did last year. But that's uh, that's of course that's not 
how it works. There's a lot more to it. Um, right. I mean, and he's coming off. Uh, so 2017-18, he had 57 points in 76 games, still a 30-goal season. So back-to-back 30-goal seasons for Kyle Connor in Winnipeg. Um, so if we're saying that Patrick Line gets a 5 to $6 million deal, a bridge contract, because of the offseason that he had, you have to think that Kyle Connor gets at least the same. Oh, yeah. I would, I would agree or on more. that. I would say, yeah, I would say about six to six, five, maybe even seven. Right. I, and I don't know. It's tough. Um, and Winnipeg has a lot of work to do. They only have seven forwards under contract right now, five defensemen under contract. They're good on the goaltending front. Um, they got Connor Hellbuck at an absolute steal of six point one million a year, and Mark Scheifele's only making six point one, also, um, which is a big time bargain contract for one of the best uh, top line centers in the league, in my opinion. Yeah, and we talked we oh. we talked about how they also have to sign Tyler Myers in the last episode. Yep, they have to sign Tyler Myers to a new deal. Also, I don't think they should let a guy like him go, especially after uh, trading Jacob Truba's uh, negotiating rights over to New York. Um, so, uh, Winnipeg has some work to do. I mean, it's a really tough situation between Kyle Connor and Patrick Line because I still think Patrick Line is a better player than Kyle Connor, but Kyle Connor has been a better soldier, so to speak for Winnipeg over the past couple of years, more consistent. This gives, um, I, I guess you can look at some of the other contract that they have right now that has a comparison. Um, you look at, you know, let's see Brian Little making about 5.3. Nikolai Ehlers is making six. Mark Shifley is six one, and Blake Wheeler at uh, eight and a quarter. So, so Blake Wheeler is the highest paid player on the team. The captain, veteran guy, has been had a very good couple of years for Winnipeg, but he was just handed that contract. He signed that extension last season. Mm-hmm. Um. So I mean. I don't think that a guy like Kyle Connor is going to make more than Blake Wheeler. No, no, he won't. No. Um, he can make more than Shifley, definitely. But Shifley's a better player, but Shifley's on a bargain deal, as we just said. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So that's interesting. I don't know. Do you sign Do you sign Kyle Connor to another bridge deal similar to Line A? See if you can hand him identical deals. Identical, like, I... three years, six million AAV for both of them. I think that would be in the best interest of Winnipeg to do that because it puts them in a more manageable cap situation too. Obviously right now they have 20, they have, you know, almost $24 million in cap space, but at the same time, you don't want to kind of just push up against that because who knows what can happen a couple years down the road. Well, you um, could turn into Vegas. Exactly. So you could turn into um, Toronto. Yeah. You, you, so if they focus on signing them to bridge deals, Let's say, you know, identical six million each. Thirty six million dollars over the course of three years. Yeah, so that's I mean six million each, you look at the cap space, so that's what, twelve million dollars that puts them with twelve. Oh no, twenty four million, sorry. No, eighteen. Eighteen. So six times three, eighteen. Yeah. Between each well and then you multiply that by two because it's two players, but Yeah, thirty six million. Yeah, okay. So yeah, um, but so that's twelve million though between the two on a single year cap hit. So that would make their next year at around, yeah, just around twelve twelve million left in cap space. 
Um, they still they got that's that's manageable. They can do a lot. They can work a lot with that. Yeah, it is. Um, so I think that that's what Winnipeg should do. It's really interesting, you know, because Patrick Line, like, yeah, it's interesting. We'll see what Winnipeg does. But, I mean, they're not – at least they're not in a situation like Toronto or Vegas where they're desperate to dump um, cap space to re-sign guys and make their situation um, manageable next year. At least they're not in that type of situation. I think it's more interesting than difficult. Don't you agree? Yeah. Um, so let's talk about Brock Besser too. Yeah, that's another guy with a lot of top end skill, a lot of top end talent. He kind of was in Elias Pettersson's shadow to a certain degree this year, I think. Because mm-hmm. uh, last year he was he made an All Star game appearance. You know, um, he was the the talk of the town in Vancouver, and then Pettersson kind of came in and just um, completely stole, stole that spotlight yeah, with what a show. fantastic was... rookie season he had. Um, yeah, it's going to be a an interesting situation for him. Of course, he still is, um, you know, one of the top RFAs here. Um, oh, no question about it. Um, 0.81 points per game. Um, still very good in this, right? 69, yeah, 69 games played, 56 points. I mean, and I still think, and I think he's another guy that's kind of similar to Line. I think that he has a lot of top end potential. He has a, an elite shot. I think Brock Besser does. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, this is the type of thing where Vancouver could definitely buy a little bit lower than maybe, because like Brock Besser has the potential to become a thirty forty goal scorer in the future if he develops properly. Right. Um. I won't say fifty. I think that's a really high. Um, that's a bit high to project, but so for a guy lo- like Brock Besser. So but, a lower dollar bridge deal here? Yeah, again, another like prove it type contract, you know, for Vancouver. Don't invest a ton of money in the guy. What are you thinking? Uh two by four? Yeah, I but do two by four million? No. I'd say five. Five? Yeah. Okay, that's fair. I'd say five. Give him five million. Um, two or three, five million dollars at five million per. Um, so then Timo Meyer. That brings us to Timo Meyer, uh, uh, yes. another one of your boys. Yeah, Timo Meyer is going to be an interesting one because uh, a lot of people know he's worth a lot of money, um, and he can easily um, command at least six million dollars um it wouldn't surprise me honestly if the sharks offer like a somewhere close to that um six six five maybe even seven now that they kind of know that Pavelski's likely walking um let's see yeah i mean in terms of term though i don't know i don't i don't think the sharks would sign him to a max um, I don't know if that would be ideal at the same time. Like he's a kind of guy that you want to, he, he's like a future, like a future of the franchise kind of guy. You saw the way he played last year and he is been a phenomenal asset to the team. Um, I'm trying to see, look at his stats here. 30 goals. Well, he's last, de- yeah. 30 goals last year, 21 the year before. 
he's definitely San Jose's best young player. He's definitely San Jose's best player under the age of 25. Oh yeah. And he's... so, um, I think it's a guy that you definitely do want to lock up long-term, long-term but, I'd but say, they... I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say eight. I would say six long-term ish. Yeah. Long-term ish. So six years at, at uh six, five million. Yeah. I mean, he still has room to grow. I agree. Um, he still has room to grow as a player. He definitely could become a star for San Jose, and especially if uh, Pavelski leaves, which is appearing likely at this point. Uh, he's Very going likely. to have to take on a bigger role next year in San Jose. Um, so, yeah, I I can definitely agree with that. Um He's a very, very good player for San Jose coming out of that stacked uh, 2015 draft class. Yeah, he um, was. I think he was picked like ninth that year, and that tells you that gives you some perspective there. Like, well, Rantanen came right after him at ten. Yeah. Um, so that tells you how stacked that 2015 draft class was. Ridiculous. Right. And Matthew Kachuk. So Matthew Kachuk, same sort of thing. Um. He's definitely a guy that's worth um, seven million. Oh yeah, seven million. Um, seven million, eight million. I'd say I'd probably say yeah, around seven, maybe yeah, seven, seven, seven twenty-five. Um, that would make him the highest-paid uh, forward on the team, though. Highest-paid, highest-paid player actually. If he was making seven, eight million, let's see what he'd the, be making more than Johnny Gaudreau. Johnny Hockey's making six seventy-five right now. Yep, yes he is. But good news for the Leafs—they have a fair bit amount of cap space. So, yeah, I think that he's at least a seven million dollar guy. I think he's definitely um, one of Calgary's best players. He was definitely their best player in the postseason last year. The entire top line disappeared for them, as you remember. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Especially then, given that he is a uh, he is an alternate captain, for sure, huge part of that team brings a lot to the to the game, other than just um, point production, as I was saying earlier. And then, so yeah, I bet. I mean, Kachuk definitely comes back to the Flames. You're not going to see him get offer sheeted by anyone. They have enough space to resign him. They'll be fine. Take a look at uh, uh, at a. Uh... At the at Calgary's uh, RFA's in general, obviously some of them aren't as important, but they also have to. You no, know, they've got a couple guys on there. Yeah. David Riddick, named David one Riddick. Them. Yeah, David Riddick's an important guy to resign, and he's arbitration eligible. Sam he was Bennett. basically their starter last year. Did they resign think- Sam Bennett? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, they do. I mean, he's not going to be super expensive because he was a third liner for them all year last season. He's for the their, most of his uh, career, he's been. He's their enforcer, not a physical guy. Um, yeah, I mean, Andrew Maggiapane, it's another guy. He's pretty decent. I mean, they yeah, they don't have other many huge names that are RFAs except for uh, David Riddick and Matthew Kachuk. Um, but Matthew Kachuk, he's not going to be like Mitch Marner. He's not going to be an $11 million a year guy. No. You know no. what I mean? He won't be. Um, he won't be. And then Ajo. So, I don't know. Carolina will be fi- I mean, not Carolina. Excuse me. 
Calgary will be fine. Yeah. But uh, we'll see how that goes. I think, yeah, like seven, eight million. That's what he'll be making. And then Riddick, I mean, he really only came onto the scene last season. So I don't think you have to really worry that much about Riddick take commanding a huge salary. I think Mike Smith is gone for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can, I've seen John Gillies play in Stockton several times as you have. I think he would be serviceable as an NHL backup. Right. That's the only goalie they currently have under contract. Um, so yeah, I think that's, uh, that's the way the Calgary is going to go with this one. Um, Let's see. It leaves us with uh, with Aho, Aho Point and Rantanen. So apparently the deal is with Aho. Aho wants nine and a half million, as I was mentioning earlier. The which Hurricanes don't worth. want to pay that. Which I think he's worth. I do you think he's? I think he's at least as good as like a Mark Stone type guy. I mean, he had eighty three points last year. He's a very very good player. One of the most exciting players in the league to watch. I think. Um. I mean, so I don't know. We'll see how. I, I mean, Carolina has the cap space. I think that he's definitely I mean, the best also, and most exciting. Carolina is also what? a team, though, where they where they don't want to spend money. They're kind of like what right. uh, the Coyotes were when they were still under Barrowway because they just don't want to spend. They just they don't want to spend that much money, um, and that kind of makes sense in the, the the kind of situation that they're in. But I mean, if you're a team that's a cup that could be a cup contender or just a playoff contender you know pay a guy pay a guy who's worth that much money you know sebastian aho yeah he's worth he's if he's worth that much money i mean it's he's their best player no question about it um i mean so yeah i think aho's definitely their highest um, paid player right now is jordan stall and he's not worth six million a year (laughs) no uh, Timo um, Teravine is, is making five four, which is a pretty good deal for a guy that's as good as Teravine. In yeah, Nino Niederreiter is making five twenty five, like, like yeah. I mean, so, you look at this team and you look at the way that Sebastian Naho is a integral part of that, you know, playoff team. I mean, it 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 really makes sense to pay him that much money. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, so I think that Ajo gets paid what he's worth. Um, I don't think that uh, the Hurricanes can afford to lose him. I know that their uh, that their owner Tom Dundon came out. That guy talks a little bit too much in the media, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, he came out in the past and he said, um, "I don't think we're going to get a player better than Ajo. He's by far our best player. We'll never get have anyone better than him." Um, so the owner likes him, so the owner probably could put some pressure on the general manager, um, Don Waddle, to sign. And um, so I definitely think he gets re-signed to something worth at least north of $9 million. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. So... That leaves us with Braden Point, which is another really interesting RFA. He was um, the third leading scorer on the Tampa Bay Lightning last year. 1.16 points a game, 92 points in 79 games. Um, key player on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, 
still didn't make it past the first round, but I don't think they could afford to lose him. Um, yeah, no. Problem I... in Tampa Bay. Problem in Tampa Bay is they only have eight forwards signed next year. They're good on D um, for next year. They don't really need to uh, re-sign anyone on D. But um, Vasilevsky is going to need a new contract next year. He's an RFA that's arbitration eligible, and you have to think that Andre Vasilevsky is going to get a big-time raise. And they have only uh, a little over $10.5 million in cap space. Which next season's only going to be um, in total. Which next season's only going to go down to. Okay, yeah, next season they'll have a lot more flexibility. It's going to be $51 million. That's all they have committed next season. Uh, but yeah, I think Point needs a new contract. And again, Point, he's probably a guy that's worth at least as much as Kucherov or Stamkos. I mean, give him an $8 million contract, and yeah, you're fine for next year, but then Cedric Paquette needs a new contract. Um, Adam Ernie, Daniel Mar- Danik Martell needs it too. And all, um, all of those are arbitration eligible. Right. And then uh, Dan Girardi needs a new deal. Anton Strawman needs a new deal. Um, now, I think. I don't think you want to go forward with just six defensemen on your roster. I mean, you can. Right. Yeah. Now we know Ryan Callahan is on the LTIR. Right. So that frees up some cap space. That frees up almost six million. So. Yeah, but like the whole thing with uh, Tampa Bay that they've always been able to lure uh, players to their city uh, with is that there's no state income tax in Florida. So Mm -hmm. you make a lot more money in uh, playing in Tampa Bay for the same amount of, uh, of salary than you do other places. Right. So I think, um, I think $8 million per point is fair. Um, Maybe if you want to give them a bridge deal, you could say take 7 million AAV for two, three years. If you wanted to do the bridge deal thing, Mm -hmm. but then you're just risking having to pay him way, way, way more. If he continues uh, playing at the level he has, Right. Right. Um, so I don't know. That's an interesting one too. Maybe I, maybe that was a blessing in disguise that Ryan Callahan, um, had to go on the LTIR, you know? Yeah. It kind of puts them in a uh, easier, a bit easier of a situation, which is why Joe Pavelski is apparently talking with Tampa Bay and is in Tampa Bay is considered a front runner. For Pavelski. Huh. He probably just wants to win a cup in his last, um, towards the end of his career, Pavelski, not winning, ever winning in San Jose. So um, maybe that's why he's considering Tampa Bay. Maybe he would take a little haircut to go to Tampa Bay for a little bit. I don't know. But what's at, how much money has Joe Pavelski made in his career? That's the question. I'm kind of curious. Like, what type of financial uh, flexibility does he have? I mean, money's always money, and players always are going to want more. Estimated career earnings about $49 million. It's not bad. But he's also living in California. Right. Um, So he's probably spent a good deal of it. I mean, at the same time. Living in the Bay Area. I mean, at the same time, though, yes, uh, income tax in uh, California is super high for someone making that much money, but. 
There's a very, it, I, I believe the property tax in California is very negligible. Yeah, but you still have to pay yeah, a point, lot of money. Yeah, uh, 0.79%. Um, so. For real estate expense in, in general is just expensive out there, but um, I don't know. So we'll see what happens with uh, Point. Um, I think he makes less than Kucherov, but more than Stamkos. That's going to be my prediction. Less than Kucherov, um, but more than Stamkos. Less than Kucherov. So between eight and nine, five. So maybe um, five years. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Basically take him to the end of when Stamkos is uh, with the team. So that leaves us with Miko Rantanen. That's our last guy that uh, we have yet to talk about. Um, and Colorado has plenty of cap space, but what do you think Miko Rantanen makes? Because Miko Rantanen is a very good player for Colorado, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but Nathan McKinnon, their best player, makes $6.3 million, But Nathan McKinnon signed that deal before Nathan McKinnon uh, really became a, a Hart Trophy contender, one of the best, considered by most, one of the best players in the league, you know? McKinnon would be making a lot more money than that um, if he had emerged quicker. You know, I know he won yeah. the Calder Trophy in his rookie year, but he didn't start putting up consistently 90-point seasons until 2017-18. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. And then he signed his uh, he signed his, his um, new deal on July 8th, 2016. So, yeah, he signed it just before he became really the player that um, he's now become. But Rantanen, luckily for him, has been putting up big numbers uh, while he's been on his entry-level deal. So I think that Rantanen definitely makes more than McKinnon. I know that I was using that argument a little bit with um, with Connor, Line and Point, saying that they're not going to get high, paid higher than the highest-paid guy on the team. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I don't think that's the case for Rantanen because, I mean, Nathan McKinnon is definitely on a bargain deal. $6.3 million for a guy of McKinnon's caliber who's probably a top-five center in the league um, is a smoking deal for sure. Um, so I do think that um, Nico Rantanen is going to be the highest-paid player on the team. You think he's a $9-10 million guy or – I think he's at least a $9 million guy. I mean, he put up some pretty monster numbers last year. I mean, at least eight. At least eight. Um, I could see no somewhere. I could, I could see the ballpark of 9 to 9.5. Nine, yeah. Well, let's see what he's asking for. Um, I haven't seen much rumors on that. Because Colorado's not in as tough of a situation as everybody else. I know that they have a lot of players to sign. I mean, I think you can just read those off really quick, Rob. Colorado's interesting. Yes, uh, Colorado has a decent amount of RFAs um, going right now with uh, Alexander Kerfert, um, Vladislav um, Kamenev, Andre Berovkovsky, JT Comfer, um, Ryan Graves, and Nikita Zadorov. So that's a lot of guys with uh, Zadorov. A lot of guys. 
Zadorov, Graves, Comfer, Burakovsky, and Kerfoot are all arbitration eligible. Yeah. And Colorado, luckily for them, though, they have about $38 million to work with. They have a lot of money. So let's say $8.9 million goes to Ranson, and just to make math easier... Because um, they have thirty-eight point nine million dollars left right now. Let's yeah. just say so eight point nine of that goes so to Ransom. Puts them at thirty million. Put them at thirty million for the rest of the guys that they have. Um, Sven Andrew Sven Andrighetto is actually an interesting situation. I was reading about him, and um, the Avalanche want to keep him, but uh, they didn't want to issue him a qualifying offer because they were afraid that he would go to arbitration and that he would get more money. Hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. Um, so they have about $30 million to re-sign whoever they want for the rest of this list. What do you think Andre Burkowski made? Because, I mean, they uh, – makes. Because, I mean, they're going to trade – they traded away – what did they trade to Washington for him? Um, I had that information. Let's see. Um – they traded away the signing rights to Scott Kosmachuk, a 2022nd round pick, and a 2023rd round pick, which is the 2023rd round pick that they got from Arizona in the Soderberg trade. Sure. So, okay, they have some flexibility there then. For sure. I mean, he's not coming off of a great year, Burakovsky isn't. So, I mean, I couldn't see him. He's definitely not making more than five. He's making probably three to four realistically. Yeah. And that'd be he'd be doing well to make that much. So I just uh, looked up. The, so um, the, the score has been doing projecting certain players' next contracts. And I found what they believe, what they think um, Miko Antonin's next contract is going to be. What do they think it's going to be? They say they're they are predicting uh, eight years, eighty million dollars. So ten. Yep. They're predicting ten million dollar AAV. That's about right. I mean, he's a top end guy in the league for sure, and I know that would make him the highest paid player on the team. And I know he's not better than McKinnon, but McKinnon's making a lot less than he should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got um, they got everybody on here. What do they think points going to make? Um, let's see. Open up that one. They're projecting, um, five years, $42.5 million, $8.5 million AAV. Yeah. So that's between Stamkos and and Kucherov, like I was saying. Yeah. And they got Meyer at six years at 6.3. So right around where I was saying. Yeah. And then who else? What do they think Marner is going to get? Um, Marner is six years, fifty-five point five million, so nine point two five. That's low. I think that's low. That's I low. I think that's low. Yeah. Um. There's no way that Marner is worth less that much less than Matthews. No. I think he's worth exactly the same, at least. But yeah, based off his production, so, yeah, absolutely. And what he brings to the table, too. Um, 
well, yeah, that's his production, but just the playmaking ability, everything. Um, I think everyone else's point totals go down by a lot if you take Mitch Marner off that team. Mm-hmm. He's definitely uh, the engine that drives that offense. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, let's. Uh, I think that's it. I think that's all there's really to talk about. There's really a lot of moving parts here with Colorado. You know. Yeah, there's a lot of things going on. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they Derek look like. Pers- do you think Derek Broussard gets re-signed by them? Um, I can see it. Like it's, I don't know how. I don't know how much. I mean, they just got rid of a center in they need, um, they, yeah, Carl I mean, Soderberg. Let's see. The current centers they have, theoretically, if they if you don't count like the multi, if you um, if you count the people who have multiple, who can play multiple positions, Nathan McKinnon can play center. Tyson Jones can play center. Colin Wilson can play a center. Alexander Kerfoot right. can play center. So, like, they got a decent amount of guys who can play center, in theory. Right. Confer can, too. So, like, that's, you know, I, they might let him go. I can actually see it, like. Who knows? Then, the only big uh, RFA, I think, kind of just to wrap up the show, uh, we'll talk about the really the only big RFA in the Coyotes organization, the only RFA in the Coyotes organization, um, Lawson Kraus. He was off. Um, yeah. He was uh, qualified, so they're going to keep the um, talks with him. Right. And then he'll probably, he'll get a little raise. I mean, he'll be making less than $2 million, but more than one. Yeah. Um. I mean, because he's definitely not a guy that's worth uh, more than $2 million, or at this point in his career. Um, and then on the Roadrunner side of things, you have Michael Chaput. Oh, no, not Michael Chaput. Uh, Emil Pedersen, Hudson Fashing, and Michael Bunting are all restricted free agents, along with Dyson Mayo and Aiden Hill. Aiden Hill, we already said that Hunter Miska did not get a qualifying offer, so he's at the end of the road. Uh, Aiden Hill is going to get a new contract. I think more than his NHL salary is going to be more than 1 million uh, and his AHL salary is going to go up significantly too, but he's still going to be, uh, it's still going to be two a contracts, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can freely send him up and down and bring him down. Um, Dyson Mayo. I don't think Dyson Mayo gets a new deal. Did they qualify him? Yeah, they did. So Dyson Mayo probably does get a new deal. What do you think? Yeah, it's not going to be a lot, though. Obviously, a qualifying offer or whatever the minimum is for whatever it takes to qualify him. Like, Right. Especially the fact he, that he's going to stay down in the AHL. It's not going to be – so, like, he's going to make the AHL salary. Right. He's getting a new AHL contract. And same with uh, Michael Bunting. Michael Bunting definitely stays – with the organization, I think it'd be um, stupid to get rid of him. Absolutely. Um, I think that he gets a new deal. I don't think his NHL salary is going to go up that much, but I think that his AHL salary is going to go up significantly because guys on entry-level contracts in the AHL make about 70000 a year, um, and he'll be making more AHL money. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Hudson Fashing, I think similar deal. 
Um, Emil Patterson, same thing. I don't think that the Roadrunner. I don't think that the Coyotes really want to get rid of those guys for the Roadrunners. You know. Right. So. Um, yeah, I think that's really it. The Coyotes don't have a crazy offseason coming up ahead of them, um, as we kind of talked about in the UFA episode. But they're ready. Um, to spe- they're ready to spend. They're ready to spend. Yeah, they're not. They're not in a difficult situation at all. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, they let obviously Calvin they, Pickard walk. Obviously, they, um, if they want to go for a, a splash in free agency, they would have to do something about Marion Hosa's contract. But yeah, they would. They would. Um, LTIR and or just you know dump it to some team that who needs to reach the floor. Exactly. So yeah, I think that's really it for our RFA episode. Everybody, um, thanks for listening. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, this is the last of our pre-recorded episodes before free agency live, um, and that will be fun once again. And um, it was a blast for those of you guys who haven't been able to watch free agency live before. We will essentially um, go on air about half an hour before uh, before the free agency show starts, or yeah, before the official free agency period starts. Kind of break things down, make predictions, um, talk about the UFAs and RFAs again, break things down, maybe other news, um, everything like that. Um, we'll have one... Uh, we'll have yeah a couple maybe a couple at least one extra voice in the crew to help facilitate the conversation because you know the more the better in a live show. Um, oh yeah, for sure. Especially when we have we're gonna have as much downtime as we will. Yeah, it's gonna be like what a two to three hour show, so it's gonna be long. Probably. Um, I love I I like when it gets those that long. Like, we have a lot of things to talk about, especially when we have a lot of engaging audience as we have before. Um. We'll definitely shoot it a lot about uh, business side of things. You know, the CBA negotiations. We'll definitely talk Coyotes Arena stuff in the downtime, in the interim. Yeah, a lot of things to talk about. Um, I'll probably break more things down of the the teams in difficult camp situations still, a.k.a. the the Golden Knights, the uh, Maple Leafs, and the Sharks. Um, Watch the Leafs. Watch the Leafs still go out and sign like somebody like Joe Pavelski. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, <laughs> and just like just make everybody scratch their heads a little bit more. No, I'm kidding, but I just think that'd be comical if that happened. I mean, I do or know they, like what, there is a uh, from what I hear a double digit amount of teams interested in him. So double digits, so more than ten. Yep. All right. Doesn't surprise me though. But anyways, you know, we don't want to go on too long. Thanks, everybody, once again for listening to this episode and sticking with us. Uh, be sure to tune in at around uh, – starts at n- – the free agency starts 9 a.m., right? So let's say, yeah, be sure to tune in at 8.30 on uh, Periscope on – I believe it's going to be on my personal Twitter page, at robliano one as well as on – uh, on YouTube, just search up Free Agency Live Inside the Glass, and you'll be able to watch us on that Free Agency Live show. But that said, we are done today. We'll see you guys Monday morning.